Welcome to the Acting Asian Podcast, diving into a journey of acting as an Asian, as well as moments we find ourselves performing Asian. Today, I sit and talk with my dear friend Katya, who is a queer Filipino filmmaker and stand-up comedian. Also, don't forget an amazing person, so tune into the conversation as we talk with each other. Hello, Katya! Hi! <laughs> For the audience to know a little bit more about you, do you want to introduce yourself first? Yeah, I'm Katya. I'm 21 years old currently in between graduating and starting grad school I just sit on my butt play on my phone hope my girlfriend entertains me a little bit not sexually I mean like like <laughs> as a person with <laughs> I love that okay. um, I guess to give a little context for listeners to know like how did I come to know you Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was when I auditioned for um, Pace's Film and Screen Studies. They were having the film festival, I believe. Yeah, that's what they call it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, during the time I was casted in London, which was a short film that you made. Yeah, that's how we got to know each other. <laughs> so- <laughs> that was so long ago. <laughs> it feels like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then we also were like on that spring break trip and you were the only other person I knew, and then I became friends with Bao. Yeah. Oh my god, that's when we went to... Did we go to Rhode Island? We went to Rhode Island. Also, kind of to give a little bit more context, Katya is also a filmmaker. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Are there any other titles that you refer yourself as? I do stand-up comedy. I haven't for a while, but it is something that I identify with. I'm a stand-up comedian. And I don't know, I guess that's it. I I want to I want to make films. I have made a couple. I want to do more stand up. I've done some shows, so I guess that's me. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more on your early life. Where did you live? How was like growing up for you and kind of finding your own interests and discoveries of what you enjoyed? I was born in Manila, Philippines, and I grew up there until I was 6. And I still, I still remember like a good amount. So it is actually like a big part of my identity. I would say like, it's not like people always ask me if I like, oh, you don't remember anything, do you? But I do. Um, And then after that, we moved to America and we lived in Connecticut for like most of elementary school. Then I moved to Rhode Island for middle school and then Fresno, California for high school. And, um, I feel like each like move was like a completely different person like I was a completely different person and I'm glad that my childhood was like structured that way um because then I could I I learned more and more about myself and obviously ultimately led me here I've always loved being the center of attention but at the same time, I do hate being perceived. In elementary school, I remember like, you know, I'd get like shout outs from the teachers for doing particularly well or for being particularly um, leader-y in, in our elementary school class discussions. 
Um, and so this is so narcissistic, but I feel like I always would like, I, I feel like I always had in me that I knew I'm always meant to say something like I'm, I'm meant to be a person that says something. So eventually once I got up to high school, you know, I did like, uh, I did mostly just improv. I didn't, I wasn't really in plays or anything. I did like ensemble sometimes, um, but I was doing mock trials. So I never got, got to be cast in plays. Um, so improv helped me to kind of understand that I like performing and I like creating and word vomiting. Um, and then once I got to college in New York, I was like, I always told myself, I want to try stand up. I've been doing improv. Let's do it. There, here's a flyer for a stand up show. And then I signed up and it was, it was fine. I did, I think I did good. I would, I look back and it's really bad, but <laughs> for a first time, it was good. <laughs> you went to Pace and you studied in film and screen studies. Yeah. Um, how was that experience for you in terms of aiding you when it came to filmmaking and also the environment to do more stand-up as well? Freshman year, I took a class. It was called American Voices, but like the subtitle of the class was Protest as Revolution. Or I, I forget, but it we, we talked about like what revolution means, what are revolutionary things to do. And, and we talked a lot about race and it was, it was a pretty broad class, I suppose. But one thing we talked about was um, like casting and race in casting actors. At the time I did want to be an actor. And so I was really bothered by this like interview that we read of a casting director who in hindsight was saying like I admit I I did um, I did probably judge people of color coming into audition based on their qualifications before their merit and then I judged white people coming in on their merit before their qualifications like if they went to college at all or anything and so that really scared me as a brown Asian woman um, because. I've heard like all during high school, like, you know, be realistic about the roles you go for, um, be realistic. Do you look like you would be this lead part or do you look like, you know, and it's so toxic, but so I was scared about that. And that's, I think why even now it's like a large driving force for why I want to go to somewhere like USC for film. Like it's supposedly the number one film school and so hopefully this means that once I am graduated, I'm taking a little bit more seriously because I have it on my resume on top of hopefully what I can provide to actually prove that I deserve to be here. So yeah, so that, that interview, that article that we read has unfortunately driven so much of my fear and motivation, even in standup as well. Like. I know that my content is like niche because, and that's good. Like uh, there's not a lot of lesbian, Asian immigrant stand-up comedians out there. So I suppose I have some interesting content, but it does, it's also like with fear and kind of toxicity. As I am 
an acting student and so far Mm -hmm. in my junior year of classes right now we're learning more on improv and Mm -hmm. all these also more about like how the industry works it's a little bit I think there's some degree where I think the industry is slowly indicating that like there's needs for like different stories and as you mentioned like maybe this niche style that you have is actually what people are interested in looking that we don't often see on mainstream like films or television shows um or on other stand-up shows and i think it's something that we have to recognize and find importance in these kind of storytellings that are not often amplified and you mentioned a little bit that you wanted to be an actor um Mm -hmm. what was the shift that made you decide like you know i feel like maybe doing more of creating my own work is something that I want to drive more into. First of all, I feel like I grew up like very insecure and anxious and a lot of my, what I like to call my journey these days is kind of reckoning or reconciling with um, the confidence that I do have and should have. Um, But part of, part of why I don't, I didn't want to be an actor anymore is the, insecurity I felt when I didn't do such a good job acting and then um like I did audition for that program that you are in somebody who like helped with the audition came up and said like oh I heard them say if you had auditioned sooner you would have been like a shoe in but I like auditioned the last day because I'm such a procrastinator <laughs> um but so I like to tell myself that when I to to go to bed at night but even still I was like I don't feel and this isn't like um I'm not saying that this is true I I thought it more so applied to me specifically but I felt like I wouldn't be able to say as much as an actor because I feel like I would have been looking for other people's stories to then be like the vessel that they want to tell it through but I realized I want to be the person essentially looking for that vessel I want to be the person writing this story that I feel like needs to be told you know mm-hmm. like I want to just like go ahead and be behind the camera and make sure I'm directly ushering the story that I want people to see Mm-hmm. I think I feel a little more in control when I'm writing pen to paper and I'm behind the camera and I I know that out of what I want to see out of film is at the minimum like three-dimensional Asian characters three-dimensional BIPOC characters rather than like you know the the black best friend this the silly Asian who's too smart but so dumb. I just think hearing that makes me feel all like warm inside because I think that's <laughs> something that I've been thinking about in terms of my journey being in this program. Yeah. It's recognizing that I also want to produce my own work and I want to create my own stories and I want to try and I'm currently in the process of figuring out what it's like to be behind the camera and yeah. um, have people who are using, like having performing characters that I've written and see them come to life. Even though as much as like, oh, I do enjoy acting, I also want a space for my voice and my stories to be told in the way that I want it to 
be brought into life. And I think that's something that makes it, it feels really like comforting to know that this is a process and something that you find interesting because I think, yes, as an actor, you can be able to bring a character to life. You can bring this whole world to life, but as a director and a person who writes the script, they're the ones that really have a huge amount of creative freedom in delegating how they want a story to be. It's a way to have this direct involvement of changing up this narrative of what we often see from Hollywood. This feeling for you growing up was kind of feeling more intimidated or more anxious, feeling like, oh, I'm not sure if I am good enough, but I know I am. What are some internal forces that kind of drive into these feelings of feeling like, oh my God, I don't know like if I can, or I'm just not sure. I would say like in the kind of like negative side of this is I I did grow up watching a lot of TV like in the Philippines and I can't necessarily like tell you specific examples except maybe like a, a shampoo commercial that I remember but like I feel like I remember seeing a lot of like lighter skinned the whitest looking Filipinos on TV and that kind of subliminally communicated to me that pretty people are the ones that look the whitest. And so for a long time, and then, you know, going to elementary school and having my classmates mostly be white or like being, even though I'm not, you know, like my skin is dark, but it's not like that dark. I don't know why I'm clarifying that, but like I, it was just such a thing I like made a big deal out of when I was younger that I felt like I was like one of the darkest people in the room and I and that to me at the time was bad um and so I grew up with a lot of self-hate for being Asian my family I I do attribute a lot of that also to my family unfortunately like my grandma used to like pinch my nose to kind of like make it pointier so that it, it wasn't flat and I didn't look so Asian and and also like I know it's also my grandma like I know my mom is a little more appreciative of being Filipino but my family in general like my ex-stepdad they also subliminally taught me to be kind of ashamed of being Filipino so all of that you know swirled around like I'm sure that contributed to like other insecurities but generally being insecure about how I look and how um also like how how I can speak about my experiences as well (laughs) that's brought me all the way over here now like I'm I'm really like really appreciating being Filipino I love being Filipino I asked Paris my girlfriend if my skin is dark or lighter and she was like um uh I don't I don't know (laughs) answer And I was like, no, come on. Because <laughs> <Just say laughs> before, yeah, I would say it. Because before, like I said, like I was like, it's, it's bad. I don't want to be dark. But now I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be light skin. I don't like light skin. <laughs> not, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying like, no, I want. I, if I'm dark, I want to know that I'm dark. But am I? <laughs> so I was like, answer it. <laughs> but I also like to, I also like to pick on her and tell her to say racist things. Like, Go on, say it. Say chink, come on. Oh my god. <laughs> I love oh my god. 
<laughs> and it's fun because she's white. I'm like, oh, you just can't. You can't fight back. <laughs> because my ancestors couldn't fight back Paris. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, <I'm> <laughs> the colonized and the colonizer. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking the power back. Um, I'm like totally joking, but I'm also 100% serious. <laughs> um, a stand-up comedian queen, everyone. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's something... I'm curious, how is your relationship with your family? Because you've mentioned a little bit, and I think that really pertains to a sense of white supremacy that we see Mm -hmm. in Asia, Um, also colorism that exists in Asia. Um, It happens in Taiwan, it happens in China, it happens in just all over the regions in Asia. And for those people who think that everything that's going on in America is solely just American, Mm -hmm. not true at all, not true at all. How is your relationship with your family? These days, it's a lot better. And I think that's largely thanks to my goddamn self. Because I, like I said, I grew up with a lot of anxiety. I think I was born with it. (laughs) Because I, I don't know. And then there's also like a lot of fear. Like my, both my parents were um, abusive in their own way. Like my mom didn't really get that way until like high school like my high school years obviously um and and there were reasons for it like you know it was a build-up of this or like this was also happening for her like I'm not saying there's reasons to justify abuse but definitely at the time even though I was young and like you know like 15 16 I was still always like yearning for my mother back like I knew that my emotional loving mother was under that like thick scaly monstrous person and and I always held out faith that or held out hope that you know when because we we thought she was bipolar for a little bit she'd be like she'd go from like really nice and loving and then for like two weeks and then for three months she'd be really awful again but every time those two weeks came I'd think like this is it we're good now my like I have my mom back and uh now I was wrong and it didn't stay good until I was fully moved out and across the country so even now like I've been really good like my our relationship my relationship with my mom has been really good but I obviously still have that kind of like fear like built into me now because Mm -hmm. every time those two weeks came I'd be like we're good and it's good forever and i have this fear that it's just an especially long good period and one day she's gonna snap and hate me again you know but it's good (laughs) like she helps to financially support me in like a big way and it is a little bit sticky in that way because again like I get nervous I'll get the brag pulled under me but to her I I can see that it's clearly like a, a big um gesture of love for her like she says weird things but I know I understand like what she means like I know how much love is coming from there like she said like she is happy to financially support me and she's sad to know that I won't need her anymore soon someday I'm like that's weird but yeah I get it like you want you want to be needed you want to know that I need you and my brother when we were growing up we're pretty close in age he's older than me 
um, by a little under two years. And in the Philippines, I remember us being inseparable, but he apparently has completely erased me from all his childhood memories. He like he always mentions it to like it's so funny. Like I don't remember you at all, and I'm like literally, one time you left without me with our family, and I begged our yaya, our like nanny, to call you so that I could tell you I missed you, <laughs> and you don't remember me. <laughs> it's so rude. Rude <laughs> but, indeed. Literally, but our stepdad, we hate him. Um, <laughs> not a fan uh he came into our life and essentially ruined it but he like is particularly potent for my brother because like he's always been a very sweet and sensitive boy but after like our ex-stepdad kind of did his evil magic my brother became a very angry temperamental um deeply emotional still but like more an anger kind of dude and so our family, like our relatives, they'd see the sensitive, generous, loving boy, like in front of them. And I don't think he did this on purpose, but he'd be kind and loving to me in front of everyone. And then he'd be like really cruel and mean behind closed doors. Um, and so nobody saw like why I was lashing out at him in front of everyone. They just, for the longest time, I was quote unquote, the evil little monster because like, I didn't care if the door was open or closed. Like if you make me mad, I'm gonna be mad back. Mm -hmm. um, and I've never really had like a temper, which is, I feel like I was kind of blessed with. <laughs> like everyone in my family has a bad temper except me. Um, so yeah, so that was tough. It's always been a little bit sticky, but now that I'm away, it's better. Largely, why I'm afraid to move back to California, though. So you live in Fresno, right? LA is like only three hours away. Like they're gonna visit me. Okay. <laughs> yes. Maybe not as often as you think they are to be. Yeah, um, but they visited my brother a lot. Like, and where they lived is in he? Irvine for a oh. while. So wow. they like, I mean, but my brother did say he, they didn't come like unannounced. Like he usually invited them. So. I see. I will not be doing that. <laughs> you will be uh, minimizing the amount of times you will invite. <laughs> I try to like talk about this anecdotally to my friends when they have trouble with their family. But this summer during the pandemic, you know, I had I had only been in therapy for like a few months, but I had some breakthroughs, even though like it wasn't necessarily via my therapist's advice. Like I had to break up with her because like she was saying some kind of weird stuff she was good but like she at one point was like suggesting that she thinks that because I'm so like high functioning which is a problematic term um I must not have depression um so I was like bye but <laughs> I did have a breakthrough and then when I got there and my family was all tense and like weird and mean I was like you know I'm not having this and then I talked to my mom, we were like in the car for two hours. I was like, you have never apologized. You've never acknowledged what you did to me, what you did to my brother, what you did around our sister, who's 10 years younger than me. Um, like, you can't just say, I'm sorry for everything because that's not really like acknowledging everything, you know? And then I think she's, a little bit of a narcissist because she like tends to make things about herself 
and like I remember those conversations were very much her like defending herself but I was like I'm sorry like this is not the place for you to defend yourself because it's not and then I wrote her like a couple letters because that's also receptive she's receptive to those it it worked you know like she's not going to therapy yet but I I just like put my big girl pants on and I was like um if this was a sitcom I would walk up to you and tell you what my problem was with you so I'm gonna do that you know because in tv shows they apologize like all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did that with my grandma but it didn't work (laughs) (laughs) I think sometimes I wish in life that we could be as straightforward sometimes as what we see on tv shows or what we see in film or sometimes people are not like straightforward but when you watch films you know like they want to say something or you're trying to figure out what they have to say and I love that you had that moment where you kind of you mentioned like putting up your big girl pants and addressing that problem or situation that you have even though you don't know what the expectation or what the results are to be but you still did it and yeah it's something so interesting because I feel like sometimes it feels like you may be an adult and your mom is the kid. <laughs> that was like a huge thing, especially because I was taking care of my sister a lot. Mm. And she was like coming home from work and then going right to bed. And I'm like, I am parenting your daughter and I'm parenting you. <laughs> like, I'm like, this normal people don't do this. <laughs> Girl. <up. laughs> this really goes, like, it's sometimes so important to recognize our parents are just human beings and yeah. make mistakes and it's hard sometimes for me because I'm like well you're my dad you're my mom because you two are my parents you have to do this you have to know how to do yeah. x y and z yeah um but they're really just figuring out things as they go even as like my brother and I like Andrew's 23 I'm 21 that's so funny it's the same same <laughs> age difference <laughs> Um, but similar problems kind of just arise up, especially when I lived in yeah. California. Like at the same under the same house, I was like, I'm out. Like I need to go. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> I think this will lead us to talk a little bit more on your short film, which you applied and used for <laughs> grad school. It's called Lumpia. How was your kind of creation or inspiration in bringing up? this because it kind of goes and ties a little bit with what you were mentioning about apology you have a little segment where that happens between the mother and the daughter yeah um i believe i wrote it not too long before filming it <laughs> I, i'm a procrastinator i said love. i'm honest <laughs> So I filmed it in November and must have written it like October, maybe. Um, Oh, actually, that's not a total, that's not totally true. I did actually write the, like, a concept and like a different script for it. Um, Spring semester, because I was going to film it for a class, um, my image and sound filmmaking class. But then the pandemic happened. Um, So I did actually already have the idea. But... I remember when I was pitching the idea to my class, I was like, you know, me right now as an artist, uh, there's so many like intersections of my identity. And I feel like 
each year in college, I've like focused on like a different part of it, each or one part at a time, like so far. And it's usually been like a year. And like when I do stand up, I usually talk about being a woman. And like a lot of my jokes are like, grr, men, um, and then, or being lesbian. And London was about being gay, you know, for me. <laughs> uh, it's, I, I hoped more so to tell a love story, but for me, it was also like being gay. And then this, for, for Lumpia, I was like, I've never really like gone into like exploring internally about being Filipino or about being an immigrant um, or about having a language that I used to speak exclusively and then losing it. Um, and so I wanna go into that. And, and so that is essentially how that came about. But then it became more about my mom when I wrote it for my grad school submission. Um, because I think, you know, it would have been like, I, I recently came back to New York after spending all this time with my family and realizing all these things with my mom and, and my family. And so I was probably like emotional when I wrote it because <laughs> it's very personal. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's almost exactly autobiographical, um, Lumpia. And the, I was gonna have my friend who played the act like the physical actor for the mom in the film, her name's Renee. I was gonna have her do the voice also because I thought she spoke the dialogue, but she doesn't. <laughs> and I didn't find that out until last minute. So I was like, God, like I had to like, I had, and it's like completely my fault. Like I'm so disorganized <laughs> sometimes. So I'm like, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm just, I'm mad at myself. <laughs> um, so then I had, and I always have a plan. Like I'm always, I always have a plan B. Um, so I was like, okay. And I called my mother and that is my actual mother, like recording those lines. And that was like really painful for me because I don't like when she watches my things. Cause she, like inevitably a lot of what I'm gonna do and talk about is the trauma from being abused, you know, or like the trauma of my dysfunctional mother and daughter relationship. Um, and she doesn't like to see it either because it is painful for her to be reminded. So her reading, knowing that she's reading this script and knowing that it, I'm literally writing about her, I was like, oh, and she was just recording these like in her room or in her office for me, you know, not really asking questions, not really like arguing just like she's like what is the context of this line like what am I feeling <laughs> <laughs> she's like I'm an actor now actor mode yeah literally <laughs> then like when I listened to the first set of recordings I was listening with Paris and she was like your mom like got serious <laughs> she's like like the first lines yeah it was funny like she's like I can't say it because it's in Tagalog she's like what what did you have sex already yeah yeah I remember this. Yes. <laughs> and I was like she did it Aww. <laughs> so it was it's fun it's a little fun fact that is actually my mother that I'm referring to in the film who was a little bit abusive um but is now good <laughs> so yeah it was painful and then I think I told you also I was really sleep deprived when we were filming it 
that in that last scene where I'm like directly speaking to my mom like addressing her like hey it's okay like I forgive you I just don't want to fight anymore that is obviously like a a a really quick summary of the conversations and the letters I wrote this summer to her Mm -hmm. where it's like I forgive you I just need you to talk about it I need to like not fight anymore I need to move past it and it was so personal and I was so goddamn tired (laughs) um and I told my friend who was helping me crew like please keep an eye on my acting like just because I'm a bad actor it doesn't mean I want to sacrifice the quality uh, of acting that I want to be in this film Mm -hmm. um like so please keep an eye on it so every time we yell cut she's like it's not quite like you sound like you're acting you sound like Mm. you're putting on or you're saying lines like it's not natural and I'm like (sighs) so we did it over and over and over again like and I started crying a little bit because it was so personal and also I was like I hate this (laughs) I hate acting (laughs) um I also should say I I put myself in it because um I I was a little lazy I didn't I reached out to some Asian friends in the city to try and have them be in it but I also didn't want to just have and you actually talked about this in one of your um episodes I believe it was Athena Mm. I think um where you talked about like I don't I okay um well, I just don't want to have any old Asian play a specifically Filipino character you know mm-hmm. I don't like even though it's kind of a universal experience for a lot of Asians this film for me it's specifically Filipino so mm-hmm. I don't want to just ask my friend who's Vietnamese just because she's Asian you know so I was like okay I will face my fears I'll be in this because it is also literally my story and I'm Filipino and it's important that it's a Filipino person and I don't know a lot of Filipinos right now (laughs) like and I remember this when I worked on London with you but Mm -hmm. how your storytelling is very personal it's very autobiographical it tries to bring more so your own personal experiences which is very vulnerable but also very powerful in a certain way because like those are the stories that I'm really interested in. Many other people who are not often represented on Hollywood, they're interested in. But yeah. sometimes we just don't often see like Minari with um, directed by Lee Isaac Chung, that recent, yeah. it's just a hugely- it's a story, right? Yeah, it's a hugely autobiographical like story and it's so simple but it's so powerful and and I think that's wonderful like I think that's something that we don't (laughs) often see like we don't often see and sometimes and I think we mentioned as we were like going back and forth like texting each other but you were talking a little bit on imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. and I guess that's something we can delve a little bit more into like how do you feel sometimes (laughs) of feeling like, oh my God, like my story is not interesting. Or I don't know if this is something that is a concept that can be made and brought to life. It kind of ties a little bit in to stand out for me in, in terms of like how I, I try to get past this, this voice, this imposter syndrome. Because like when I watch stand up, you know, or like 
I guess the collective when you watch stand up and you see like the comedian up there tell you a very specific story somehow you still find it to be relatable you know like no matter how specific it gets we as the audience are usually able to understand the spirit of the joke or of the scenario and relate to it and so I just try to remind myself of that like notion like even though like this particular film Lumpia is um, on the surface very specific a person making uh, food from their culture and struggling to connect with her mother um technically that's specific I feel like that the way I said it, it sounds very broad but like even though it's literally specific the spirit of it is so relatable even I believe to white people and so I just try to remind myself of that but for me also like in general the imposter syndrome is so like insidious and so annoying it's like so loud because I like and I know like so many people feel this way but I'm gonna say like as if it's my own experience as well but like I obviously I don't feel Asian enough I don't feel like the right person to tell this story am I like really the most like the person that should be telling the story I just said that but like (laughs) Um, you know, like, but it's so weird. Like I was born in the Philippines. I did speak the language. My family's all Filipino. I eat Filipino food. I have Filipino memories, but I don't feel Filipino enough. And, and therefore, you know, like, do I want to be the person that my family is like, yeah, she is the one that should make the movies about being <laughs> Filipino. And I'm like, oh, like, I don't even speak the language. And that's part of my journey. I'm trying to relearn Tagalog. Sometimes I think very often when you have lived in different places and also interacted with different cultures and you wonder, you're like, well, I am Filipino and this mm-hmm. is my experience, but how come like you're finding grabbing certain things where it's like oh this is why i'm not filipino enough and i think something like language is something very prevalent sometimes because we think when you don't understand the language um it kind of bars you from some like to some degree from understanding Mm -hmm. more about like filipino literature um performances or cultural customs necessarily like the language seems to be such a powerful thing when Mm -hmm. you come to find your own identity how what are some specific things that you kind of hold on to where you're like this is what I identify as so I think it's kind of like how I was saying like each year of college I was focusing on like a different intersection of my identity and I do think that it happened in the correct order, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. Um, because it was at first acknowledging that I'm a woman. So that's simple for me anyway. Um, uh, Although, well, anyway, yeah. So at first it was being a woman. And then because I had only like started coming out to people like when I was right before um starting college um then it was like 
kind of coming into that, like my queerness, and I'm going to talk about my queerness on stage and to people and make it all about me, and then it consequently also attracting all the gays <laughs> to be my friend. I feel like that just happens too. Like if you if you exude gay energy, the gays will come. I I want to now believe that now at this stage of my journey, um, where I'm coming into being Filipino and being Asian and being brown and immigrant, um, I'm I'm like like releasing those Asian pheromones. Yes. And I'm like, please come to me. Like, <laughs> and it, like I'm again. It's one of those things. I'm joking, but I'm a hundred percent serious. <laughs> I'm so tired of white people. I do not I want. Seriously, am yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I. <laughs> okay, it was probably because I was on my period, but I was literally sitting in this space with Paris one night and I was just freaking out about something so white that like somebody like a roommate of mine or a friend of mine said it was really emotional and I'm like sobbing to Paris I'm like you're just all so goddamn white (laughs) (laughs) I'm like it's not your fault it's not your fault (laughs) you get out being white but oh my god (laughs) and like you know, I'm going to USC, I'm going to be in LA, I'm going to be in California, so many Asians live in California, which is great for me because I will not have such a hard time finding people to be in my films now, <laughs> hopefully, but like, I'm in a WhatsApp for like a bunch of the um, incoming people, I, I'm, I have the question in mind, I know I'm veering from it, <laughs> but like, I'm in a WhatsApp group with all, like a bunch of new admins, and I'm like really enjoying like talking and I'm, I can't wait to be their friend and meet them in person. And I believe they feel the same about me because we like met on Google Hangouts a little bit yesterday. But they're all white. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't want to have only white friends anymore. <laughs> I'm so tired of it. <laughs> there are some people of color. They're just not talking as much. <laughs> mm, I see. <laughs> I think it's because the white people text so goddamn much. <laughs> it's apps, like literally when I came to Pace, it was all the fucking white people. They're <laughs> just yeah, like, time. <laughs> and you know what? Too like it's so funny being in this in this journey at around so many white people. Like Paris and her roommates, all white. My roommates, one brown person. Everyone else white, and I have a lot of roommates. Um, and I just feel like I'm like, you know, like do 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 doing like all by myself and like I'll watch we'll watch a movie or something and then there's like a really crude representation um for Asians as in like you know, and it's usually like the same tropes, right? It's always like the sexy uh dragon lady dragon lady tattooed only purpose is to have sex with somebody um the dumb one who's also very smart but just so dumb the one that you're just supposed to yell at and order around and and I feel like there's a fourth one but it's usually like those same characters and I like to get audibly like very loudly mad at it so that my white roommates can be reminded this is not cool because sometimes when I do that people like you know I haven't thought about it and I'm like did you now like did you not did you not like and 
somebody oh it was Paris she was showing me she was showing us all like this show that Howie Mandel was in about sea monkeys who they're like human sized and then they have like prosthetics that make them look like um what the the character in Spy Kids 3 with the hands do you know what I mean it's been a while since I watched Spy Kids okay well it's like just like stuff like protruding from their face the same color as their face and it's all prosthetic they don't have noses it's weird and then they're all like their whole character is like like just like super energetic weirdos and I just sat there being forced to watch this (laughs) and I'm like they had the budget for this but not for a depiction of the Asian American experience (laughs) I'm like that's so weird (laughs) they'll do anything but tell our story (laughs) you had to pitch that you had to ask for money for that and they said yes (laughs) (laughs) sorry ridiculous ridiculous to answer your question right now (laughs) i would identify with being Asian and being Filipino. For the first time ever in my life, I put a Philippine flag in my bio. It's so stupid. I'm like, was this really the first time I've done this? Because I just didn't like being Filipino for so long. Mm. I want to slap myself upside the head. Like, you lost so many years of this language because you were so afraid of being Filipino. And now I can't can't talk to my great-grandpa, who's 92. My brother just recently visited him in the Philippines and he was like as safe as he could be about it, Mm -hmm. but they were like really worried about him. And that's why he went. You were supposed to go maybe for Christmas. Mm -hmm. I don't have my passport yet. I've been trying so hard to get any documents. I don't have an ID. My citizenship documents, which by the way is bullshit. Like I got citizenship automatically. But I have to pay twelve hundred dollars to get proof for it. Oh my! Crazy to get a piece of paper. But a passport's supposed to be easier, supposedly, and that could take as little as six weeks. And then maybe I can get my license finally. Um. Anyway. LA. So. Yeah. <laughs> and me and Paris are gonna drive from New York to LA. Oh my god. Yeah. Road trip. I can't help unless I have a license. So I'm really, and if not, we'll have a friend. Um, anyway, sorry, tangent. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. Asian, I'm Asian. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be really common with a lot of second generation or 1.5 generation um, <laughs> kids where it's like, you lose a sense of cultural customs or identity to some degree. There's this yearning for wanting to go back to the roots to some degree and know what it's like to embrace this culture. And I think this reminds me, I forgot which actor it was who talked about it, but it's like, I think it's Steven Young, but he was like, Mm. you spend your, time as like a young actor wanting to be someone you're not like wanting to try Mm -hmm. and be someone else but then as you grow older you start to recognize like you are just slowly accepting that this is who you are and this is what it is and Mm. 
I think this is slowly a time for you to recognize like you're badass like literally um, <laughs> you're gonna be one of the few people in the USC program learning how to make films and tell your own stories that are going to be different from a lot of your white peers. You're probably going to be mad at your white peers. Yeah. (laughs) But you're going to find a sense of community in some way. Yeah. I think that also did remind me a little bit. I think you just find it funny. So I want to tell you. (laughs) Um, When I was still doing stand-up actively with like my comedy friends, like my friends from the comedy club at Pace, um we like went into one of the study rooms late at night and just like tried to bust out our sets together and one guy in the group was there but he doesn't do stand-up so he was just like kind of hanging around and um and so it's okay in the in the stories me my friend nick and our friend jack jones who i fully believe will be famous someday it's so funny um nick is part latinx and Jack is a tall, lanky white boy, and I'm me. <laughs> and um, we kind of like workshopped our ideas out loud. I said something about being brown or lesbian or something. Nick said something about being Catholic and brown. Jack said something else. And Ryan, the guy who's like hanging out, he was like, um, Oh, this is so funny. I don't know if they'll ever listen to us, but they hear themselves. Anyway. Um, Ryan was like, you know, Nick, Katya, how come you guys always talk about being brown and lesbian or being brown and Catholic? Like, why don't you make like Starbucks jokes? And I was like, are you joking? <laughs> I'm like, do I really have to answer this? Like, um, I don't know if what you're saying was a microaggression or not. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, I, am I, have I been hate crimes? <laughs> like jack was like i'll answer i guess like i'm white i can make boring starbucks jokes but they have to like fight oh actually it was me who said this part like i have to like justify why i have a right to be on this stage first exactly yeah yeah like i it's like the same thing as like um looking at my qualifications before my merit you know like i'm funny but I guess I have to explain to you why you should keep seeing me Um, because I'm not just niche, even though I am. I can make you laugh a little bit longer than that white guy probably. Oh, mm -mm. I I agree, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely want to have you on again to talk about your experience sometime. Yeah. In film school. Um, That would be very interesting, I'm sure. Looking forward for all the stories that are to happen. Talking about what's been going on with the state of this nation, mm-hmm. how have your thoughts been in terms of everything that's been going on? And how, like, maybe in the different aspects of your life in terms of creating art, um, finding your own space for comfort, um, how has everything kind of been for you? Uh, well, I definitely always thought I was a person that worked well under pressure. I think it's, I think what I haven't quite figured out is the extent to which that is true, um, as in like under what kind of pressure I'm actually good under. 
But the rest of it, any kind of pressure at all, I do tend to just like collapse. And and it's funny, like I was just telling Paris this, and I don't mean this in like a like a kind of mad or bitter way, but it's just interesting that a lot of people around me, save for like a couple people who are lovely and dear, um, a lot of people just have been congratulating me on this future endeavor, congratulating me on getting into USC, but not really actually asking me if I'm okay. You know, I can think of a couple people who did. Um, I wonder if it's because it sounds awkward, like check in on your Asian friends. Like, I wonder if it's awkward. Like, is it weird if I just like check in on her because she's Asian, like to assume that she like cares about this because she's Asian? Like, you know, like, I wonder, I don't know. So I haven't really had a lot of people reach out to ask if I'm okay, but I've had a ton of people reach out to say congratulations. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and I also don't mean it as like a, you should, you should ask me if I'm okay. Cause I'll cry if you do, like I'll cry. <laughs> um, so for me, like, you know, I don't really have anything pressing. Like I graduated early so everyone else is still in school and I'm just watching them like get shit done and I'm sitting trying to comfort myself at all times and like my brain is so empty that it just gets absolutely invaded with all the news and um then I just like think about it and I get really sad about it and I just play video games like I play Animal Crossing I play my I play Red Dead Redemption 2 so because he's a big white dude he's powerful and a gunslinger and I'm like yeah that's me I have agency (laughs) I sure do um so I I literally just sit on my ass and I try to distract myself um but it is really painful like I don't know I just watched the video of the 65 year old grandma who's filipino and the security door security guard who closed the door i thought she was like so violent and that's also why i called tita rose she's around 60 and filipino and like i don't know um there's no sense to it but i also i do want to say that i have been seeing so many comments on these posts about like these news things from Asian people being like, how come, uh, like trigger warning racism, like how come uh, we're not talking about how most of these like perpetrators are black men? Like we need to address that they're black men. We need to increase police presence. And I'm like, are you fucking joking? I knew it. I knew it because a lot of people speaking up and saying like, you need to do more, speak more, like donate more to Asians happen to sometimes sometimes be the Asian people who were not showing up for Black people before. And I'm like, that's so musty. Like you're, you're only saying this now because it applies to you. Yeah. You weren't going to help your comrades out before because you're not, you're not, um, I don't know. It's just, so much anti-blackness now but to me and I'm not saying that to me okay 
I I obviously have not been directly victimized or had a person in my family victimized by one of these attacks. But I personally don't see it as like a like a problem that you know, obviously I'm not blaming black people for it because what? I think there's, you know, there's obviously like a deeper issue there um, to address and usually to do with the system. Usually there's a deeper cause or deeper root like to address. Not only is it the frustration of like, oh, a lot of your peers who aren't reaching out to you, but it's also the people within our own community that are like talking about this, but mm -hmm. There's also this prevalent thing that we need to address is that we have anti-blackness that is yeah. very prevalent within our community and yeah. that needs to be addressed as well. Um, exactly. And it's not just because like, because I think when people are like, well, why are black people doing this X, Y, and Z? You're like you're not even viewing like us recognizing that we like the Asian community and the black community, we're all fighting the same fight. Mm -hmm. because very often it's like they feel like okay well this is just this is asians are having all this, this discrimination it's like the worst but it's like whoa we need to think like there's even more that goes deeper into this we need to yeah i think it really goes with recognizing our own history in yeah america and also not even just america but like how in asia that affects too because we have colonizers come in um mm -hmm. And that really just changes everything. Like we, this is something that needs to have a wider consciousness into. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> it's like frustrating. <laughs> ah! I think this will go more in terms of, do you think we do have more inclusion of Asian American Pacific Islander stories and representation? And what are some missing voices that you feel like you don't often see as much on screen. I I definitely think that there is more of everything lately. Like, um, it's funny, I was just talking about this because USC used to send out this list of 100 must-see films before you go to film school or something. They don't actually send it out anymore, but me and all the new admits are trying to get through the list. And none of them are in the past decade. So I think in, it's in this past decade that we've started this conversation or put the pressure to have this conversation a lot more. And consequently, there are more um, Asian American Pacific Islander stories being told and being produced, probably a lot more in the indie sector as well, like tons, I'm sure. Um, and but I, I, I do think that what is missing is the, uh, okay, like for me, I believe that there should be two types of BIPOC stories that should just like keep happening. One where their, their identity as a BIPOC person or even as a queer person has no um significant effect on the plot line 
but is more just like a like a, a deepening of their characterization and maybe the production design, you know, like, oh, this is a, a Filipino person, so their house is, looks like a Filipino person's house. And that's it. And then they're, they're living their life. They just happen to be Filipino. But I also think there should be a lot more stories um, of BIPOC um, who, whose um, marginalization, whose struggles, whose specific unique stories are at the forefront of the plot line because we don't have a lot of those. Um, and I think broken down, I think there's not a lot of stories where uh, kind of like to all the boys I love before, which she just happens to be um, supposed to be Korean um, because I see a lot of, or not a lot, like Crazy Rich Asians is about being Asian. It's not just for the sake of being Asian. So that's good. Yeah, so I think I want like a mix. I think it's wonderful to recognize, like this is stories that we want to tell. Like you don't have to always center on like, oh, because this person's Asian, then they must do X, Y, and Z. But also like, if that is something that the story, like I think a huge part is, recognizing who's the writers behind it who's the creators of it mm -hmm. um, because you like I feel so much discomfort to have a white person try to write off what is their impression of an Asian experience yeah that doesn't make sense like even if my girlfriend was a writer and she tried to write an Asian story I'd be like what are you doing Mm -hmm. just let me write it <laughs> yeah just let me write it just collab yeah. <laughs> what are some hopes and aspirations that you have for your future <laughs> um well I definitely am not the type of gal to say I want to be the next blank like I don't even want to be the next Lulu Wang you know like I want to create my own story and I want, I don't want like, even though younger me definitely wanted to be like rich and famous, <laughs> um, if I'm, if I would be recognized for my work, it's because I, I, I would want it to be because I helped give a voice to people who weren't being heard, obviously, you know, like, I want to make films that are niche, that are queer, that are different. And if they happen to be um, during a time in the future when, if we have one, climate change, um, <laughs> during a time in the future where um, these niche films are then actually the norm, then that's great. Like, you know, I am tired of trying to conform and be like everybody else and I'm not saying that like I'm different but I mean like you know because for me so much of trying to conform was trying to be more white and trying to be more palatable ultimately at least in the next near future of my life I want to be a filmmaker that is faithful to telling the stories of Asian people and then helping to tell stories of other BIPOC I'm sure I, I don't want to like tell stories of experiences I haven't lived that's my career <laughs> hope but my mental hope I don't know I just hope I like am less anxious all the time <laughs> that's a big one but I do believe yeah. it is something that you can like 
maybe it's something that can't disappear, but you know better how to manage how yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some I joy would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Some joy would literally be so nice. All right. Well, this will go for our last question. What is it to be acting Asian for you? I think for me right now, especially in the kind of reckoning with my roots, I think for me, acting Asian is like digging right back down into my own personal history of figuring out what is actually the most authentic version of me, not the parts that I like sculpted into being palatable, into being um, like, into being white. So for me right now at this moment, I would say acting Asian is remembering what it was like to be by default Asian and what it was like to be Filipino and not ashamed of being Asian and being darker skinned. So I guess that's it. I guess acting Asian is finding out what it was to be Asian in the first place for me. Thank you so much, Katya, for joining me in this lovely dear conversation and sharing your own stories. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Any projects that you're working on or anything that you would want the listeners to keep in mind of? Well, I do have a YouTube channel. I It's hard to find. You'd have to put like K-A-T-J-A, Katya. And then the title of a stand-up, like Man on a Stoop. But maybe, maybe, maybe someday in the future soon, I will add some stand-up videos if I start doing stand-up again. And so, but that's like, if you happen to want to check it out. Normally though, if I share a video, I'm like, please don't look at the rest of them. But maybe if you want to, you can. Otherwise, I'm on Instagram at Katya Custodio. At, yeah, at Katya Custodio. And I'm sure I'll update um, my life, but I'm not currently doing anything. Maybe I'll make some films. Who knows? <laughs> wink, wink, knock on wood. <laughs> if you're Asian, I want you in my film. <laughs> um, just keeping a lookout, everyone. <laughs> All right. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this week's episode of Acting Asian. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, talk about it amongst your friends, share it, anything you'd like. Thank you again. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day, and I'll see you for the next episode on Acting Asian.